Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today we are talking about The Ring, the 2002 film directed by Gore Verbinski, screenplay by Aaron Kruger. It's a remake of the Hideo Nakata 1999 Japanese film Ring based on Koji Suzuki's 1991 novel of the same name. I'm joined today by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayetos. Hi. Uh, and we're kind of joined by some more people. Uh, so to explain, we've been trying out different fun ideas over on our Patreon, like the watch along that we did for Skyfall. And today we are streaming the recording of this episode to our patrons live. So they are going to get the uncensored experience the <laughs> full length pauses as we search for the right words to express ourselves they're gonna they're gonna hear it all um okay so the ring so the ring i want to talk i i want to hear from you guys about like the first time you saw it if you remember because this this movie came out when i was 16 which is like the prime age to be seeing like a horror film like this in the theater and I remember a lot of my theater experience and the audience reacting to things. I also realized rewatching it that this is like a horror movie for film people in a weird way. Mm. And I think that's maybe where some of my fondness of it comes from is like they're talking about video and time code and like all these <laughs> right. things that I was like, oh, I'm a nerd. I know what that means when the numbers are all jumbled like that shouldn't be happening. Um, so I I just have a lot of fun watching this movie and I think it was the first Gore Verbinski movie I saw. And I was like, this is just like gorgeous. Like, why is this movie made so well? I'm so into it. Um, it's goofy. It's weird, but it's also terrifying. Uh, I was terrified. It's probably the most scared I've ever been in a movie theater. So I have fond memories of being terrified of this movie and loving this movie. Uh, but I want to hear from you guys, your first experiences with it. So Alex, do you remember seeing it early on? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, as is weirdly often the case, very similar experience to what you had, Michael. Uh, impressionable. I think I was probably 15 uh, year old. Uh, I didn't know much about the movie. I saw the trailer and it looked kind of more interesting than the average B horror movie. Uh, Naomi Watts was kind of like a new hot commodity in Hollywood after Mulholland Drive. And so I was interested to see her in a movie. And yeah, I remember going to the theater and seeing it and walking out feeling like it had it had seeped into me in a way that few movies do. And it was weird because you know, when the movie started, I, I got the impression from like the very opening moments like, OK, this is in a category of like, you know, not like a major film. This is like a fun horror movie with the two girls having the sleepover and there's, mm -hmm. you know, urban mm -hmm. legends mm -hmm. and stuff. So I, I went into the movie being like, OK, I know what I'm in for. This is going to be just like a typical this kind of movie. But the more the movie went on, yeah, that the filmmaking by Gore Verbinski, the music by Hans Zimmer, the cinematography, mm. like it all was so much more than I expected. And it also got into my psyche in a way that was that's pretty rare. Like it I was actually get freaking myself out the rest of the week. See, <laughs> like I saw a ladder. That was like it was, it was it was literally the same ladder up against a billboard, and I freaked out. Like it, this movie, it's like seared those images into my head. A lot you of you thought you saw it. <laughs> yeah. 
there is seared all these ordinary kind of images into my head and made them terrifying. And so mm-hmm. then when I saw them out in the world, I was disturbed and I was amazed that this movie theater experience could do that to me. So I revisited over and over again. Of course, I watched it on DVD over and over again. And I it was, I think, as formative for me as it was for you, Michael. Uh, and I just I just really admire overall with this movie from that first viewing experience it's like it's a script it's a concept it's a remake it's it's all these things that shouldn't be this good but Gore Verbinski just made the hell out of it and he was like (laughs) I am gonna make the most beautiful awesome version of this concept I possibly can even if it's kind of nonsense at parts even if (laughs) the character motivations don't make sense at parts I can't help that that's what the script is but like look how cool this movie is i made with this concept so i just have so much admiration for it in that way literally cool it's a very blue and green yes. movie i was gonna say yeah. just like rainy cloudy seattle cast. right yeah. yeah there's rain oh there's so much water we know how i love rain cool okay <laughs> so so trisha you were around the same age tell, <clears throat> tell me about your uh relationship with the ring so uh i hate horror movies And I agree that this movie is genuinely terrifying and therefore I avoided it like the plague, um, (laughs) guarding my own consciousness there. Uh, Actually, the first movie that like horror movie that I tried to see in theaters was a couple years after this. I tried to go see The Exorcism of Emily Rose and like. Mm. That was the first movie that I walked out of the movie theater where I was like, I don't have to do this to myself. (laughs) I could just not be here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, speaking of not being here. So then later, uh, it would have been several years after this movie came out. Somebody, um, a friend of mine from college was like, okay, you should watch The Ring because it's actually genuinely a really good movie. Like, and, you know, it's a little bit scary, but like, it's also got this like, investigative journalism thing going on and you'll Mm -hmm. like it. And I'm here to tell you, I did sit down and watch it with that person. I did not like it. And it scared me so much. I got super drunk during the watching (laughs) of that movie because I was just like, I don't want to be here anymore. And so I uh, peaced out. Um, I drank a lot of wine. And (laughs) I, I was, however, that experience is what for some reason persuaded me that I would be okay to watch it now because I was like well Mm. I've seen it before I was pretty drunk I don't remember very much of it but like I did live through it one time like (laughs) I can probably watch it again also I'm like in my 30s now I'm I'm an adult I'm okay no 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 that was such a stupid idea that I let you guys like make me watch this (laughs) I was so and I like have responsibilities and stuff now and I can't just get drunk I was like watching it in the middle of the day I also have to like podcast about it well I thought I thought this is how drunk I was apparently the first time I watched it I like didn't remember any of it I was like when I sit down to watch this again it'll all come back to me and I won't be scared nope (laughs) none of it came back to me I was super scared also I have to get to the we have to talk about the the edit jump scare in this which is mm-hmm. such a it's such a cheating nasty it's the most kind cheating. of a jump scare it's like you edited a jump scare into like a nothing scene where there shouldn't be a jump scare you snakes anyway <laughs> um 
So this was a terrifying experience. I hated every second of it. Uh, and this is what I put myself through for this podcast. You're welcome. You're welcome, I guess. <laughs> it's terrible. No more. Excellent. No more. Great, great to hear. I thought this was like on an approved list. There must have been a miscommunication. No, but... it was on an approved list because I was stupid and I right. thought I had lived through it once and it would all come back to me and I would be fine. Right. And I was not. Now we know why your brain deleted all of that information. It deleted the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the jump scare you're talking about, I'm sure, is the one, you know, in the first 15 minutes where the mom is just like they're having a quiet conversation (laughs) and then it like abruptly cuts to the most frightening shot ever of I saw her face. Like (laughs) it's the kind of image. Yeah, it's the kind of image that reminds me of in Maholan Drive, actually, weirdly related again, uh, when the kind of weird garbage man pops out from behind a wall and there's a the just a, best yes a ever horrifying yeah. like the most horrifying sound happens yeah. at the same time same thing here out of nowhere the worst like uh shrunken it's probably the worst image in the movie yeah it's, yeah. it's like mm-hmm. it's like a face that's been like water damaged because i guess they they die in the well kind of i don't know it's right. the worst most horrifying face with a shrieking sound out of nowhere like falling forward <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah it's interesting because it, this movie doesn't have that many like scary things about it like there's not a whole lot of scenes where you know like in a horror like slasher movie where it's like oh they're trapped in the room with the killer and how are they going to get out like there's not a ton of that there is a lot of suspense but this time mm-hmm. i was noticing that they did kind of have to lean on like faux jump scares to like keep it scary because nothing like not that many scary things happen there's, um, there's like loud sound transition exactly. you know it's like yeah. i'm closing this file cabinet so hard <laughs> that, right. one is, yeah. that one made me angry too <laughs> right. but yeah. i was realizing as i was watching it that this is a pg-13 movie yes and mm-hmm. it's in the vein of pg-13 like you know there are these certain sort of ghost movies um you know, some like demon possession kind of stuff, like just general like haunting things. The others. Mm -hmm. The others, which I really like a lot more than this movie. Um, But that's like, again, it's not a slasher movie, so it's not hyper-violent. There's not a lot of blood, right? And those kinds of things. And so that's why they can get away with these movies being PG-13. And so like, I think that this movie is way worse than... Well, I have nothing worse to compare it to. <laughs> but I would imagine it's more terrifying than plenty of other R-rated movies that are more For violent, sure. right? Mm. But it, j- this is just, there is something psychological about the way that this, and I, w- I would love to get into that, like what yeah. is sort of um, dwelling on thematically, psychologically that, that does make it incept itself yeah. into your mind in a really uncomfortable way. For sure. Yeah, let's definitely get into that. But first, Brian. Tell us about your first experience with the ring. Yeah, I watched it back in probably oh oh three or four somewhere in you know shortly after it had come out, and I was excited because people were like, "It is the scariest movie ever!" Like I was, it terrified me and everything. And I'm like, I like the I, I like the feeling of of a sort of controlled scare. You know, I don't want to be scared when I literally have no idea what's going on, but just sort of like I know I'm in a safe environment. 
do your worst, scare me. And so rarely a movie is actually able to do that. Mulholland Drive gets away with it because it's like it builds up so much to that moment that you think it's not going to happen. So when it does happen, you're not ready for it, you know. Um, and some movies I've I've been able to do it. There's a really good um, it's like an old YouTube video or, or pre YouTube even. And it says like if you there's like a, a car going through a, a, a country road, basically, and it's way in the distance. And it says if you look close oh enough, God, yeah. you'll oh, see yeah. a ghost and then you're looking and you're looking, you're looking <laughs> and then like a zombie jumps up right in your face. And it's like, great, because you did a thing with expectation, like the closet cut in, in the ring. Um, and I watched it and it was fine. It, it didn't scare me that much. I'm not saying I didn't get like a little ooh from some jump scares, but I didn't have the like the like really tense, horrified feeling that I was hoping the movie was going to get me for for the buildup that it gotten. But I like Gore Verbinski and I appreciated that it was just like a pretty good film, like in terms of just being a sort of drama, mm. thriller, et cetera type film that it was pretty good, you know, um, and I haven't watched it until the other night uh, again. But I always sort of thought of it as a movie that's just like, it, it, good job. Like you did a horror movie that actually feels like a pretty good drama. And it's funny because I feel like it fits in this weird horror is this genre where we just sort of expect the movies to like actually not be good. Basically, it's like it's <laughs> right. going to be fine. You're going to get some scares, but like the writing is going to be bad. Like the, everything's going to be bad, um, except for these, I don't know, 20 or so elite Alien, Psycho, The Exorcist, The Shining, The Omen, right? Like the these just like these are the ones that actually feel like you made a real film that also happens to be a horror film. And The Ring is sort of somewhere in the middle. It's like you have this top tier yeah. actor, you know, composer, director and everything. But it's still kind of just a cheesy horror movie that just that like it doesn't logically it doesn't all work together. The writing is not the best, you know, it's fine, but it just sort of is in this weird middle ground where it's not quite top tier, but it's also not just like a sort of whatever run of the mill be horror movie. And I think that that gives it this interesting place in sort of modern horror cinema. Yeah, it, absolutely. And it, it is this weird thing. I was thinking about Shutter Island also, because I feel like that's, mm. you know, the Martin Scorsese version of like, I'm going to take like a B-horror movie and do it really well. And for me, it also kind of lands in this weird place where it's not like the greatest movie of all time. I've talked about this, but it, it like sucks me in and I really enjoy it every time. And this definitely falls in to that category for me as well. Um, and one of the things that I think is interesting that maybe helps uh, elevate it beyond like, you know, the the lower tier of horror movie, you know, teens sleepover, blah, 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 is this kind of genre blending thing of, you know, it's a detective story while also being a horror mm -hmm. movie. And like you're saying, Trisha, this like investigative journalism aspect of it that I think is uh, a big part of why I enjoy it, because I also don't like horror movies, generally speaking. Right. I don't like being yeah. afraid, but I really like going on this like clue finding journey that Naomi Watts' character finds herself in where she watches the video and that's like the end of the first act, right? But now we've all seen mm -hmm. the video and it's all these images that don't make sense. And then kind of the rest of the movie is making sense of those images. And I think that's kind of a cool, like it seems maybe obvious in retrospect, but I think there could just be a movie where 
you watch a scary video and then people start dying and it's more about the like dying. But in this mm. movie, it is about uncovering the mystery behind mm -hmm. those images and the, the story of the family and all that stuff. And then once you find out what happened, they do a nice little twist around and we can talk about the ending. Um, but yeah, the, the sort of genre, the horror detective story thing was a really stood out to me this time as a reason why I connect with this movie so much, I think. There's something really hmm. satisfying about the way the movie kind of does this big visual setup with the actual ring video, where it's just these completely disturbing, unnerving images that don't make any logical sense. Uh, but the movie basically proceeds to, if not explain the images, at least like harken back to them at least once throughout like every single image in the video there is some example later whether it's literally the weird coincidence of a centipede in like the files <laughs> she's going through right yeah. or as significant as you know like the tree where you know by the well where she, where she was killed or whatever so mm -hmm. it's 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 a really satisfying experience to have a movie first present you with like a visual mystery you know there's, there's no there's no even like, mm. you know, text associated with it. It's just visual mystique. And then to kind of like slowly pay off those those mysterious visuals throughout. There's something, you know, film's a visual medium and it's a really satisfying experience to 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 have a thing burned into your mind, you know, literally like Samara does. And then to to kind of get some sort of like a aha factor when you uncover the thing that that image is connected to. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, I think it's a really smart design. Yeah, this this movie has an interesting challenge, which is to be a horror movie without a monster or something that is in the closet or could break its hand through the window at any point or whatever. It's all psychological. And so it's like it finds these different ways to scare us, whether it is, like you said, just a centipede, which is sort of a coincidence or the the jump edit cut, which is, you know, it is a it is a moment just made for the audience. Right. It's a moment to ma made for the audience to be scared because this movie kind of has to continue to find these challenging ways of being a horror movie when the actual plot is largely someone looking at papers and trying to <laughs> right, figure things right. out you know so you get the horses on the ship and yeah. you get these like these very just uh, uh you know unnerving <laughs> moments and upsetting moments but it's all uh, so many of it's done in all these different ways uh and it, that's what sort of makes it interesting that you're always on your toes as opposed to if it is a monster movie like or a zombie movie or something well the scary thing is that they could be there at any second but the not scary thing is that is probably the only way you're going to be scared. So you're always prepared for that one thing. Whereas this movie constantly finds new ways of of scaring you and keeping your toes that you weren't thinking about and you weren't expecting. You mentioned the horses and I saw Trisha kind of shake her head. And I think, I think the horses are a great example of or it's just the horse, the horse on the ferry. It's yeah. just a deeply disturbing thing, like for an animal to kind of go violently crazy and like essentially commit suicide like is a very disturbing unnerving thing i think that's where this movie is scary is it's not scary in the sense of you know yeah alien or slasher scary it's more in like oh this is wrong or something is not right here and i don't like it it's not it's not right <laughs> <laughs> well it's really interesting because you have sort of a rule um 
tightrope that this movie is is kind of walking or like trying to strike a balance like pirates because there have to be <laughs> there have to be sure <laughs> it's just that there have to be enough rules right so it's like you watch the video and then you have you get the phone call and then even if you don't pick up the phone call it doesn't matter but <laughs> right. you get the phone call and then there's seven days and like you will your face will be distorted in all pictures and videos and so like there are, are certain things that the movie kind of establishes as rules but then there are lots of other things that we just don't have any rules about or really like understand their nature right so like this isn't even in many ways it doesn't resolve itself into being a ghost story until very deep in the movie mm -hmm. like no one we we don't have an entity that we are tracking as you're pointing out brian it's not a monster movie or a zombie movie or anything like that there is no one entity that we are following up until we finally learn about the daughter and finally learned that maybe something happened to her but for like a long time even deep into the second act we're just like okay there was this woman out on this island with the lighthouse she killed herself but again it just takes a while to get there and so the lack of concrete sort of rules or even ideas i think give it this like creepy texture to it where it's like we don't know what killed what's her face at the beginning amber tamplin mm -hmm. uh, katie i guess is the character's name we don't know what killed her in the opening scene at all like and we saw her tv was static <laughs> right water she was mostly scared there was water on the floor there's like a ripple that passed across the reflection of the tv because <laughs> the entity can be seen as a reflection and tvs that are off sometimes well, the entity for a long time seems like it's just the videotape, which is also weird. Like, how do you fight a videotape um, and how does it kill you? I don't know. But but again, the lack of like, we don't really understand what's going on means that anything could be dangerous. Mm. And I will say that I think that the actual content of the video itself is, as you were pointing out, Alex, masterfully put together to tap into like a lot of common fears and I would like love, I'm sure there are analyses out there, but I would love to read an analysis by a psychologist as to like, why does this ladder upset us? Why does this image with the um, mirror freak us out with the white space, right? Like mm -hmm. there's an oval mirror over here and then there's white space over here. Why does that bother us? Like there are these things that I think are tapping into like probably really common phobias. Um, you know, we have the centipede. I'm sure there's a really common phobia. It's got too many legs. It moves too fast. Mm -hmm. The actual no, image no, of the on. centipede. Phobia means like, you know, unreasonable. <laughs> okay. Bugs, bugs are freaking bugs, weird. Thank you. You're yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. But uh, again, there are these deep seated sort of like primal fears that yeah. mm -hmm. we really, really don't like. Yeah. And so even though we might intellectually understand there's nothing dangerous about a centipede. Nobody still wants to see a centipede anywhere ever. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like, I think that's really interesting and fascinating about the, the content of the video. And again, because we don't understand where the images came from, why they're related to each other, what they mean. It just sort of permeates the whole movie with this psychological unease 
that I think is hard to pin down and works tremendously to the movie's advantage. Mm. If you pinned this down to an entity or made more rules than there are, you would not, everyone would just be like, well, now that it's like, can't do it in that hallway because the, it's a ghost that can't come through there. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, the audience would be trying to outsmart you constantly. But this, there's so few rules you can't outsmart it. Right. Yeah, it it is a really interesting balance, like you're saying. If, if there are enough rules that I feel like I'm, it's not like I I feel cheated constantly when weird stuff happens. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's still a pretty wide open thing where you can be in a video lab going frame by frame and then the fly you can pick the fly <laughs> off the screen and i'm like whoa that's terrifying what does that mean it makes sense but i hate it, it doesn't look like, like it, it does all those it's, it sets up the ending <laughs> it's true right. that's a very right. good point it's a setup yeah. world building yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> well i yeah i i think what is so interesting about the way the movie like juggles all the rules it, it, i mentioned pirates before because it, it it reminds me of a gore verbinski thing almost uh, sure like, yeah. like where it's he's he's just barely holding together like way too many rules because i think this movie <laughs> it, yes it doesn't have uh, like it doesn't have more rules than it needs like it, it has like the bare minimum rules it needs but it still needs a lot of rules to function like it it, it establishes a lot of strange things like samara she can burn images into different mediums, you know, like uh, overhead projector papers and also VHS <laughs> tapes or people's right. minds or horses' minds. Um, right. And, you know, it, you, if you make a copy, like like the the universe tracks if your fingers hit the record <laughs> button on the VHS player. Can I just um, say also that the creepy <laughs> shot in this movie is the final shot where you see the kid's fingers like pressing the yeah. copy button and like slowly go like yeah. the way his fingers are arched it has just yeah I don't I don't even like seeing you do it yeah <laughs> um, but yeah it's just, it's interesting because this movie it's part of what for me puts it in that category Brian was talking about between like masterpiece and total B movie is. It's, it's just a little bit too unwieldy. Like it's it's just in the, in the nature of the concept, which is how do you write like a coherent movie around the concept of a VHS tape? If you watch it, it will kill you somehow, you know, and, and then we're gonna have a whole mystery behind it and detective story. Necessarily, a lot of strange rules have to come out of that concept to, to hold the movie together. Um, but to his credit, like he just barely does it. Like, like at somehow yep. this movie does hold together. And it the funny thing is it does require a couple of leaps of logic by the characters. Like I've noticed that like oh, yeah. Naomi Watts, her Rachel, who's her character, she like seems to know how ghost stories work. And she seems to know, like, in the world of this movie, like when you put a ghost to rest, like the story's over. Like <laughs> right. she seems she seems like very just like certain of this. Like, like she has concluded the ghost's like story. The body has been exhumed. Mm-hmm. everything's good now Aiden like we're fine uh, and so it's, it's it's just funny how the movie almost has to rely on that at a certain point of like there's already so many rules we're just going to have the characters assume some movie logic here that that of course this is a ghost story and of course once the ghost body is found and you've like acknowledged its suffering the curse is definitely broken <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right. kind of hilarious there's this kind of interesting almost theme happening throughout where like it, so the so the moment that 
sparked this thought for me is when Rachel's playing um, the tape for Pretty Boy, whatever his name is, Noah. and she goes outside and she's like looking around at all the right. other people like watching TVs. Mm-hmm. And there's the kind of window this, moment. Right. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. this kind of like quiet gravity to it that to me signals like I'm supposed to get like something thematic from it. And so I was like, all right, movie, I'm going to think about what you're saying. But I couldn't really pull anything out of it other than like, yeah, like people do watch TV. (laughs) And so ultimately it was like, well, maybe this is just setting up like, look at all the potential victims, right? If this tape is kind of eventually going to be a virus, look at all the potential hosts that it could like infect. Mm -hmm. But even with like, the opening scene, I think, is interesting where it's trading right. on, you know, it kind of knows the audience has seen the first scene of a horror movie before. Like we've seen Scream and we know this kind of mm. setup and the characters, even within you know, the text, are playing games because it's like, I'm going to tell you a scary story, but then I'm going to pretend to be dead and like you're going to. So there is this sort of weird meta like awareness of horror that's happening kind of within the movie but isn't doesn't feel fully explored to me either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, my lesson for later is going to be about theme and and sort of horror movies and theme. Um, but uh, you know, I definitely think there is a cohesive element there. It's like the opening conversation with the two girls is like, "Oh, did you hear the TV does this terrible mm. stuff to you?" And then she, the rear window moment, she's looking, she's everyone's got TV on, and then she is an investigative journalist. And Brian Cox says, um, "What's the line? Uh, I have it written down somewhere. What what is it about reporters? You take one mm. person's tragedy tragedy and spread it like sickness." And then that's what Samara is doing. She is taking images and burning them into other people. Mm. So ultimately, I agree that it doesn't it doesn't really do, I think, what it's trying to do. But at the same time, it is there is definitely cohesion there. There is definitely yeah. an attempt to say, like, we are taking this one idea and we're going to kind of put it in all aspects of the movie the way a good theme should. Yes. Um, and I do think that what you guys are identifying was something that I thought a lot about as I was watching it this time around, too, where I was like, there's... There's a really interesting, um, like, technological unease mm-hmm. that, or a paranoia that this is tapping into from the time. So, you know, keep in mind, this is like a couple of years after the Matrix, right? It's like right mm-hmm. at the beginning of like the internet and like the, you know, sort of tech age that we live in now. Um, and I feel like it is, was, you know, sort of uh, plugged into the zeitgeist of that you know, quite a bit. And I think that that thematic undertone is what makes that made this at the time scarier, right? Mm. Like it seems like, you know, we've invited this entity, this um, technology into our house and like, we don't really understand it and it could be anything and it could be dangerous and we don't really know and don't really care. Like, um, and we all have one in our homes and like, maybe it's a sinister force, right? It, it kind of is operating on that level with, with a degree of paranoia. The issue is though, there's this whole other side to the movie about like family mm-hmm. and parents and kids, right? Mm-hmm. And like the relationship between parents and kids, right? Because Naomi Watts's character, Rachel, has this bizarro relationship <laughs> with her creepy son. <laughs> Hello, Rachel. Who calls her by her first name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I mean, he's just like the most generic version of a creepy kid right. ever. Like, you, it's a horror movie. She can't have a normal kid. Like, right. she's going to have the weirdest child the ever. The performance is great and kind of elevates oh, yeah. him. Like, but yes. Well, I, I feel I feel like what's so, it was so like specific about this movie is like he is the most generic creepy kid, but he's like a good generic creepy kid. Like, of it's course. like not a bad generic creepy kid. No, he's a very good creepy kid. Uh, this is all after the sixth sentence. Please keep right, in mind right. as well. Um, you know, he's a great creepy kid. And there's this interesting parallel going on, right? Where there's clearly something kind of broken in her relationship with Aiden. And obviously, you know, her family is kind of falling apart. His dad's not around, although he is around. They have that long scene about mm, that. Right. Um, Our son. But again, <laughs> <laughs> reveal. Oh, yeah, it's a good. It's a good reveal. twist. It's a good twist. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it adds like a nice, like it raises the stakes. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, I just think that that is doesn't seem really in any way connected to the sort of technology piece, mm-hmm. um, right. especially because the family drama that it's echoing apparently took place in the nineteen sixties, <laughs> but. Looks like it took place in the 1860s. Right. <laughs> like, on an island. I was okay. like, what yeah. year is this island from? <laughs> that, that island didn't get jeans yet. <laughs> hey guys, Michael here. My partner always talks about how she wished she had a better experience learning science back in school. That how it was taught prevented her from being truly engaged by it. How you learn something can be just as important as what it is you're learning. Which is what makes Brilliant so great. Brilliant is an online learning platform for STEM that has a bunch of interactive courses that let you get hands-on. They're all designed by award-winning instructors and built upon the principle of active learning, so you're gaining STEM knowledge by actually doing it. Brilliant is truly awesome, and as further evidence of this, I first heard of it from my partner who discovered it and fell in love with doing one of their lessons every day. It's the kind of teaching she wishes she could have had back in school. If you want to learn more about Brilliant and help support Beyond the Screenplay, head to brilliant.org slash beyond the screenplay and sign up for free. Or simply click the link in the show notes. The first 200 people that go to that link will get 20% off Brilliant's annual premium subscription. Thanks to Brilliant for sponsoring this episode. On the topic of the of the the former theme, the the screen paranoia yeah there's something interesting with this movie which is almost meta about it because of the way of course images of the movie like like in you know your experience trisha and and my experience in the theater it does burn these unnerving images into your mind and it almost gets at a paranoia about that about like what if you watch Mm. something and you you can never take it back like what if you see Mm. an image you did not want to see and it can never be erased. Like, I think there's something about the, the, yep. the permanence of watching this tape and having it burned into you. And now you're like marked for death that it, there's something very primal about that, that I, I kind of relate to. And I think especially when I was younger, I did have a fear about that. You know, there's when I was young, Same. I had a fear of, ac- of like accidentally seeing a really shocking image in like that rated R movie I wasn't supposed to watch. And like, would that like. Yeah, I don't know, like ruin me or something. Like yeah. the hand, like Kate Winslet's hand in Titanic. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> disturbing, disturbing, unnatural images. <laughs> I think you're really hitting on something there, Alex, because I was the kind of kid who didn't want to have nightmares. Not that I thought they could hurt me, but I just didn't want to see the things 
that I would see in nightmares mm-hmm. that my brain would make up mm-hmm. to scare me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's that goes back that that is like the root of my problem with horror movies is that I don't want those things in my head. Like my head's already right. a terrifying right. enough place. I don't need more <laughs> scary stuff in my head from the outside being put in there. Maybe that's my problem is my head is like too boring. So I want to, you know, <laughs> 90% bing bong. Right. <laughs> um, I think another interesting thing here in terms of the, um, the images, the videotape itself is the timing of this movie so in 1998, mm. when when Ringu came out, VHS was the standard. And in 1991, when the novel came out, VHS was the standard. In 2002, the bad right. version of this movie is like it's a DVD and the menu is cursed or whatever, right? Like, um, <laughs> Ew. which Ew. which I did appreciate <laughs> the, the ring on DVD after the credits roll and you go back to the menu, you hear a phone ring, which I love. Um, but uh, but I think what's cool is that watching. You know, you always watch that movie from like the 1993, The Devil's Own or something like you have to hit CLS to clear the screen. You're like, oh, God, they're using DOS um, that just <laughs> everything feels so dated and weird. And uh, and I think what's cool about a 2002 movie that's about a VHS tape is that 19 years later, it, it doesn't feel super dated because, you know, at the time mm. a VHS tape was already kind of like a like a, a back then thing. It was already falling away a little bit. And I that was nice watching it so much later was that it didn't feel super dated for that that point that reason mm-hmm. it did strike me though that this is maybe the last moment in history this movie could ever be made because so much relies on pre- this precise moment in technology like right. home right. phones vhs tapes like paper records like everything mm-hmm. is is still like just barely analog but they have cell phones you know so it's like the movie relies on this like hybrid moment in technology that doesn't exist really anywhere else. And then also the fact that the video is grainy and hard to spot things. And like that is creepy as opposed to like the the sort of like prestige right. of a DVD or something. Right. Sorry, right. Michael, you've been. No, yeah, just all of this was, again, was also on my mind watching it and that it's I, I really want to hear from maybe we can insert it in our next like film cope chat, like young people watching this, <laughs> like I'm always fascinated to hear from. But I remember even in the theater at the time watching it and thinking, oh, it's kind of weird that this is a videotape, but of course it has to be a videotape because they couldn't do it like for a DVD. Because like you're saying, Brent, DVDs were a thing. Like the Matrix came out on DVD and it was like, no, you're going to get a DVD player for Christmas and you're going to watch the Matrix and it's going (laughs) to blow your mind. Um, So that, so yeah, it's just that it is this really interesting time in technology. And uh, like you guys were saying, it doesn't feel dated Somehow, I think, like, for the reasons you're pointing out, Brian, and then to your point also, Alex, about the, you know, kind of being subjected to imagery that you don't want to see. That was one of the things that creeped me out in the theater, even, I remember, of Mm. buying into this idea of, like, there's a tape. If you watch it, you're going to die. And then the movie shows you the tape. Like, right. right. And you don't watch really the whole thing. have a choice. Like, yeah. you can get up and leave, maybe. And, and even the final images of it of the movie are, you know, the tape and kind of reminding you, you know, the last that you have watched, right. It, yeah. And the last mm. you know, line is like, what's going to happen to the people we show it to. And then it like shows you those images and it's like, Oh, it's me. What's going to happen to me. So there is this, that's part of like that meta thing happening that does make you like invest psychologically in a meta way, almost of like, I want her to solve this because I've also seen the tape. So I need to understand what is going to happen to me also or like find a way to like break this is what i was thinking anyway 
It was also nice owning this on DVD. I feel like that gave me a, a little bit level of like distance to not be too afraid <laughs> yeah. upon rewatches. Apparently, I read that the, the VHS version of the movie just starts with the ring video. Oh, my God. When you put it in. The what? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, I hate that. Um, well, but I do think it's interesting. You know, I, I cracked a joke a minute ago about how like the the family drama seems like even further back in time. Mm -hmm. Like they, you know, are on this island that doesn't get like a lot of modern technology. And it seems like every time, um, you know, Rachel has to go investigate something. She's like almost taking herself further back. Like she's like on this ferry and there's horses. Why would there be horses there, you know, in 2002? But it, be, being in like a rural place, which is often a, a setting for horror movies, often gives you the leeway to remove characters from like modern conveniences and sort of modern comforts and safeties mm -hmm. that we have to surround ourselves with, right? Like if you're living in a city, not that there aren't great urban horror movies, but it hits a little different or like the anxiety usually comes from a different place. Whereas the isolated feeling or like the isolation piece that horror movies often trade on, you get from being, you know, sort of having to leave your place of comfort, leave your own home, leave your own neighborhood, um, and usually go to somewhere where there isn't easy access to resources. There's like a psychological thing about being in that space. Same thing with the barn, same thing with the well. I was like, oh. she drowned in a well in the 60s? <laughs> what was a well doing open? Like... <laughs> Um, I like that you think wells and horses are obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> Especially on like a rural island. <laughs> well, I will say they're obsolete in the city in 2002, right? No one's using sure, wells sure. and horses in the city then. You know, these are things, again, they're associated with like, um, like, yeah, a lack of access to all the sort of like, yeah, modern conveniences. And so I think it's, it's smart and it's interesting. And on paper, it shouldn't match up with like a videotape, right? Mm. Even a videotape or like that kind of something that's not completely cutting edge as we talked about, but it, there's like a weird mashup where it's like the woman is combing her hair in a mirror in her farmhouse with her, her horses. And her daughter is, she's going to kill her daughter and throw her in a well. And then, the, that ghost made a videotape like there's something just something about that doesn't seem like it makes sense or should be scary and yet the very nature of that incongruity in terms of like time and place actually creates more of that sort of um what's the word that i'm looking for Dis dissonance cognitive dissonance well, mm -hmm. so they even they even point out at one point when they're analyzing the video it's like this shot shouldn't be possible or like you know how like how is this right. image even being created i don't understand and that's part of mm -hmm. that's part of the disturbing aspect of the vhs tape it's like this wasn't made by a camera so like how mm -hmm. can this even exist mm -hmm. yeah good point and it is cool that it, it was made at a time where visual effects were such that you could make some of those images that like couldn't have been made you know mm -hmm. five years before mm -hmm. gore verbinski is really good at, at tech it when i read today that the book came out in 1991 all those things that you're pointing out trisha made a lot more yeah. sense because like vhs <laughs> was like the new thing that was like right. the ubiquitous thing and so mm -hmm. the kind of cautionary tale of 
like we were saying earlier, you're letting this new thing into your home and everyone's going to be watching it. What if like that's as a fresher idea, obviously, then versus when it's kind of already out going out the door and the reaching to earlier time periods is not as far of a reach. So kind of like you were saying, Alex, it just felt like it came out at the very last moment it could have possibly come out and been accepted. Mm. Which is just a fun, you know, sort of, uh, I guess, maybe metaphor for for like the American uh, <laughs> it's the American system, right? That it was like this idea was in a book in Japan 11 years ago. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, well, we don't know. And they're like, but then it was a movie. But a foreign movie. And then like once it comes out when VHSs are dead, everyone's like, ooh, what if what a fresh new idea? Well, it's interesting where this movie lies in this trend. There's a momentary trend of adapting Japanese right. horror movies. And this really was the first one. You know, this mm. this is you know, this is like the early two thousands. We took a, a Japanese horror, you know, kind of cult classic at that moment. And we remade it and it was really successful. Like it was very successful for the budget that they made it for. And then there was a whole bunch of like kind of copycats afterwards. I think the grudge was the one that I remember seeing mm -hmm. like just a couple of years later. But there was like another one with Jennifer Connelly called Dark Water. Uh, it's a lot of like attempts to kind of recreate this phenomenon of the ring, uh, including a ring sequel, which was not good. Which and then not, another ring sequel recently. And then, and then one called Rings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, but it, but this movie is it 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 did do an interesting thing where I, I feel like I don't know that this film would have been as interesting if Gore Verbinski wasn't able to be inspired by another film. You know, if, if it was mm -hmm. if he was just given this script and read this script, I'm not sure if we would have the movie we have today, because I know I know that Gore Verbinski actually saw the original movie and was inspired by its kind of avant garde nature and the imagery in it. And so it it's interesting how it's. You know, I just this is a dumb analogy, but like, you know, you make a copy like the VHS tape copy. It's, there's an <laughs> interesting thing where like like something mm. good was made because mm. it was copied. Like mm. it's almost like Grubinski built upon the first iteration of this project and did his own thing with it. Uh, but I, I don't think I don't know if just receiving this script, he would have made this movie without there being a previous vision from a Japanese director doing a really avant-garde, interesting horror movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's also, I was thinking about the performances and obviously like Naomi Watts is always great. And I've, she has to do so many silly things and, <laughs> and yes. silly lines too. <laughs> and silly lines. <laughs> and she does so much work. Sometimes not she's not even able to save some of it or some of the scenes. And I just, I, I kind of want to vent about them for a moment, but when she first goes to Noah and he's like, yeah, I can use my tech thing to stretch the edge of the frame. And so she's watching him stretch the tape to reveal more of the image. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, let me do it. And then they start like fighting over it. That's just one of those dumb <laughs> moments in a movie yep. where I'm like, why? Why would yeah. she need to do like that makes right. literally no Same. sense. <laughs> uh, and then when she was like petting the horse. First of all, it was weird that it was shot from like horse POV. Like, that was one of yeah. the few like directorial breaks that I had was like, I don't know that horse POV was the way to do this. Uh, but when the horse is like, doesn't want you to pet it, like leave. Yeah. yeah. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Yeah. She's, like, there's no motivation there to keep trying to pet this like angry horse. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> she really so, likes horses, I guess. She really likes horses. Yeah. But then also, I think having bringing Brian Cox in and having him be the big scary thing yeah. is like kind of yes. what helps make the like the last 
third of this movie work. I mean, his suicide scene is maybe the most disturbing scene in the Mm. movie. He's in literally three minutes of this movie, if that. And this performance is like, you know, I kept thinking parts of this would come back to me from my drunken self that watched it way back (laughs) in the day. And all I remembered is Brian Cox's suicide scene. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, that was the only thing I remembered about this movie because it was so horrifying and his performance is incredible. Um, Like, there's just so much... You know, we talk a lot about in in film how characters signal to us how we should feel, right? I think the thing about that sequence that's so terrifying is he is signaling to us, like, this is how dangerous she is. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even, if you showed up here, you have a copy of the tape. Like, I understand what this means. She is never going to rest until she kills me, too. So I'm just not going to be part of this anymore and i'm gonna take my life in a very elaborate but like right. the worst so way the worst right. way. like it's a little yeah, extra exactly. like you probably no. didn't need to like <laughs> it's so do extra. it like that so, but... like it's so effective like like right. Nemi watch just like screaming and backing out of that room mm-hmm. as like sparks are flying is such a shocking part of that movie but yes and that's also a moment where i was like but she's asking she's being asked to do so much because it's like you just yes. witness somebody's horrific suicide and then someone comes and grabs you okay relief it's noah and now you have a great idea about where to go next like <laughs> right, right. that all happens in <laughs> yep. like 30 seconds and she and pulls she just, it off <laughs> yeah she pulls yeah. it off enough that i'm like with you and okay yeah go climb the tallest ladder ever and let's figure this out <laughs> my god she, she also has a, a great horror movie screen when she uh scream when she pulls turns noah around you mm-hmm. know because right. we've seen the face at the beginning of the movie right. so we're expecting the movie to like jump scare us with the face but instead all we get is her reaction and and without like a cut or anything, like all it is is just her turning, seeing and screaming and it works. And it's just like really chilling. That's that's part of the Gore Verbinski effect, I think. You know, there's there's a there's almost like a tastefulness there to just like leave it on the long shot of her screaming. Mm-hmm. I just I also feel so bad for like NCIS girlfriend that then is just going to go up the ladder and find. Yeah, Noah. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like yeah. the darkest choice Rachel's <laughs> character makes. Right. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna let sometimes. you go up and find like melted face boyfriend. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I'm sure that that actor is wonderful in other things, but he does nothing for me in this movie. <laughs> sure. Like, I'm. I, it's partly, I think, kind of a thankless role. Like they do try to create some meat to it, where he's like, "I want to be your dad, but I, I don't want to be your dad." Um, <laughs> he's cool. And the kid is like, he's cool. Like photography guy in seattle it's basically right, his character yeah. <laughs> yeah it's probably the character that i bump on more than the performance um but yeah i just i guess there's i'm i'm super confused about what the movie is trying to say to me in terms of her character arc rachel's right. character arc right like they're like you should listen to kids because kids sometimes get scared and they just draw scary things. And like, you should listen to them. They just want to be heard, <laughs> but they're evil. Like, <laughs> but also it, kill that's them. What the, <laughs> that's what the twist at the end signifies, right? Where it's like, if, if it really is, you know, Naomi Watts like reaches this piece where she's like, she just wanted to be heard. And like, 
we, you know, I'm going to just lie in bed with my son. And he's like, don't you have to be at work? And she's like, I don't need to go to work today. And I'm like, oh, you're going to be a better mom because you helped this girl, um, you know, and her mom killed her and she just needed love. She was just an orphan that needed love. And then the yeah. creepy kid is like, you shouldn't have helped her. <laughs> she was just <laughs> evil. Was like, yeah. <laughs> what is the message of this movie? Children that scare you are evil. So <laughs> what? <laughs> So I feel like this is this can transition into my lesson pretty well. Sure. Okay. Real quick okay. though, Great. I want to say that like part of what's funny I think about the the boyfriend is there was this weird trend in like late '90s, early 2000s thrillers where so um, Oliver Martinez in Unfaithful, which was also 2002, and Viggo Mortensen in A Perfect Murder, where it was like the like handsome hunky you know thing on the side who lives in a giant loft floor and has like <laughs> right. his paintings everywhere and that kind of thing. So I think that that's part of the problem with Noah is like nothing necessarily against him as an actor, but it just feels like a dated character that only yes. existed mm. for this like very short period of time. Kind of like a Gen X character. Right. Very right. Gen X. Yeah. 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 His loft is oh God. <laughs> it's great because it provides such a great area for him to die in. And right. like, for uh -huh. me, the sure. scariest. There's plenty of room for the ghost to like jump forward very quickly and knock over a bookshelf. Right. right. Yeah. That was the that was the scare that scared me the most in the theater. Yeah. So just yeah, before we go to lessons, just that moment where I felt and you pointed out, Brian, that the fly coming out of the video does signal that that's possible. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I remember my brain feeling like, well, at least I'm safe, like, because nothing can come out mm. of a tele. And so when she <laughs> yeah. reaches and starts coming out of the television and then does that, like, zap, like, I'm coming closer, I remember, like, jumping and crawling up into my seat. Like, mm. that yeah. moment was the most afraid I'd ever been in my life up to that moment. I That's feel like that was out. a great movie theater moment when when yes. she actually pierces the television screen. Right. There was like you an audible hear. gasp. Yeah. Yeah. I, I forgot that it was like not until the last five minutes of the movie that that even happens. I thought it was right. something that happens like a couple times in the movie and I'm watching it like she hasn't come out of the TV yet. I thought that was what this whole movie was. I also appreciate that she still looks like TV when she's right. out of the TV. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's something cool about it's that. It's that fun Gorbavinsky effect, you know, like he he does go above and beyond with the visuals. And that was one example of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll come back to that because that actually is my lesson. Okay. Okay. Well, so you were going to you were going to your lesson yeah, first. So we were just talking about um, the ending, and so yeah, my lesson is that I I think this movie does it has the structure of a great twist, aha, but there's more kind of thing mm -hmm. where, as we talked about, the themes are uh, do not maybe resolve into something um, totally cohesive. Um, and I don't know that Naomi, that Rachel has a character arc exactly like you're pointing out, but I think Noah does have a character arc. And I think that's mm. what kind of helps sell that the movie is over. So like mm. he's kind of wrestling with like, do I want to oh, be yeah. this dad or do I not want to be this dad? And then, you know, the structurally as they're like, okay, we got to go back to the cabin. Once they're on that path, you have all the beats where they're in there, but now we're here and we're too late. It's the like, all hope is lost. We're not going to do it. And then they figure it out. And then it goes to the climax and the whole thing with the well, which is absolutely terrifying. The TV uh, knocks her in. The TV <laughs> knocks her in. I was like, come on. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. That one, I was, it was a bit much. That's too thematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> the TV knocked her into the wall. Very like yeah. David Lynch in that moment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that is the moment where like the rules thing of like what what can Samara control and what can't she? Like she All can the nails in the house. Nails yeah. and the nails are cool. They're yeah. cool, mm-hmm. but it's just like if you can do that, then what? Like can't you anyway? Yeah. Uh, once she's in the well, it's like that's a terrible. Anyway, so it does. It has that climax, and then the resolution where, like you were saying earlier, Alex. Now she knows that she's completed the ghost story thing, right? And then they're kind of driving home off into the sunset, and the kid wakes up, and they're holding hands, and you can tell that Noah's grown, and he's like, "Okay, I do want to be a father." So it it wraps up all the things that you would need to wrap up, generally speaking, for a movie to end. And then has a really tight twist turnaround where yeah, yeah. the kid says that, you know, you shouldn't have helped her. And he's so alarmed that you're like, what the hell? That's terrifying. And then it goes straight to yeah. all of that. So I feel like it's just, if you don't want to do like a Dark Knight style, but there's 60 more minutes of a movie left. If you just want a really fun extra eight minutes of twist that like leaves you unnerved. I feel like this movie structurally executes that really well. So... That's my lesson. Trisha, what's your, that sounds like yours in this ending area also. Well, I, I know I've talked about it before, but I just think that that image of her crawling out of the TV is super iconic for a reason, right? Like I didn't see this movie in 2002. I avoided it with every part of my being. Um, (laughs) However, in 2002, there was no way to avoid that image. Right. There was that image and that idea was everywhere and everything about it from like the white dress that she's in or like her nightgown or whatever she's wearing to the hair over her mm-hmm. face. Uh huh. And then like the way she crawls mm-hmm. like out, like she like steps over the rim of the TV and like crawls up to the whatever. Um, and, and of course, they're messing with the time timing of it. Right. Where it's like she's moving preternaturally like fast right. um, and backwards. Like they're playing her footage yeah, backwards. It's all, so it's all yeah, creepy. And, exactly. Yeah. It's all the most. Yeah. <laughs> but the concept of she crawls out of the TV right is this really striking idea and that's i think what makes that image so iconic and so i can't remember what episode it was that i talked about um transposing things from where they should be to things where they shouldn't be Mm. is often a way to create iconic imagery Mm. or juxtaposing two ordinary things but in places where they should not be together um, so it's like the image of a, a boy riding a bicycle is not unusual or iconic, but you put that against the backdrop of the moon and the bike is flying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what you have is an image that you will never, ever forget mm-hmm. um, and becomes like cinema history. Right. And so. Um, uh, hold on, uh, Michael, really... that's E.T. OK. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. The, the other horror movie. OK. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so I, I just think that thinking about why that image disturbs us and why it captured the imagination more than any of the other images in this. Because I agree, I think the latter is really scary. I think the centipede is scary. I think the way that the horse dies by falling off the ferry and the water is all bloody is like the worst. And there's a flash of the ring afterwards, right after that. Yeah. 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 Tyler Durden's in the center of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, but, None of those have the lasting power that the little girl crawling out of the TV. Sure. Has. And so I think dissecting that um, 
just in terms of idea is worthwhile if you're trying to create an iconic image in your own writing. Um, you know, you have to have a payoff that is that good. That's the other thing about this movie is it doesn't work if it doesn't have a really great payoff um, because you've built it up and built it up and built it up. How did she die? What happens? Right. And it's gotta be the last thing that you expect. It's gotta be weird and it has to be iconic. And so that juxtaposition of ideas that is impossible, it creates this sort of like paradoxical image is really, really strong. Um, and just a plus on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I feel like there's the, like the build up to it is, is so good also. And like the, mm -hmm. you know, as they're, once they're on the island and she's going around, she looks up and sees the window and it's the the image from the the video. So like you're starting to see those puzzle pieces come together mm -hmm. and that kind of creates this momentum. And then, yeah, that, that, that image comes after it's been essentially confirmed that she is evil also. Like, I feel like that's right. just the image itself, like you're saying is just so striking and has all that meaning already. And then the story around it, like really makes mm -hmm. it like extra disturbing. And I think kind of like a, I was talking about the sort of the faux ending would have been a fine ending, but it, it wouldn't be memorable. Like I think yeah. you're really hitting on something like exactly. without mm -hmm. this final, uh, like this is the thing that makes the ring like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because the sixth sense, you know, has a like a, we we help the ghosts and then they don't hurt us anymore ending and now and the creepy kid is fine now and everything's fine now and the sixth sense has a lot of really great memorable images in other places and really cool ideas in it in other places as well but it really doesn't have that slam bang ending that right. that leaves you with that final shock in the theater that this movie does but the sixth sense also shows we talked about this in the fifth element, like just one image or one thing. So I see dead people, you know, yep. crawling out of the TV, Lilu in her costume. Like there is just a power to I'm we're going to create one moment slash image slash thing that is going to be the one thing people never forget from this movie. It's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Which, which yeah. is probably impossible to predict and and create. You can do your best to try to sure. to, to see what works, but. I mean, this seems like it was pretty, pretty consciously engineered, you know, as we're saying, like they save this image until the last. It would probably be just as scary if it was the midpoint of the movie. But the fact that it's like the last couple minutes of the movie right. mm -hmm. is. Yeah, th that is that is the really smart choice, because you know, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be so lame to think about this movie as a typical slasher flick where there's other you know, supporting characters that watch the video a few days earlier right. and we get like right, early yeah. kills of them and we see how they die. You know, that would be a totally different experience. But this movie, yeah, you, you think it's over and then you get the real, like the one big movie kill actually happens on screen. Right. Uh, so mm. it's, it's very, very smart choice to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Brian, what's your lesson? Uh, yeah. So I mentioned the, the theme and I think that horror for me the reason i sort of put it into these two like put the genre into these two like it's either one of the one of the best or it's just bleh i think theme is a huge 
part of that. And I think, mm. you know, it's, it's I would say it's ironic, Trisha, that you uh, that you don't like horror because I feel like it is the it is one of the genres where theme is the most visible. You've talked about uh, sci fi being a really good genre for that, too. Mm. Um, but I feel like when you look at a, some of the best horror movies, you know, Night of the Living Dead, zombies, look, they're consumers. This is a response to consumerism in 1968. Um, 28 days later, what's what's worse, people infected with rage or people who can actually choose to be awful and horrible and use you however they want to use you. Uh, mm -hmm. The Babadook is about like motherhood and dealing with your inner demons, right? So it's like, obviously Jordan Peele is doing this now with, with movies like Get Out. It's, it's the horror thing, the thing that we are scared of is also the thing, the theme, the thing that we are like actually dealing with, that the characters actually dealing with, they're trying to to get through. So, and, I, and that's almost why I think The Ring is sort of in this middle ground because it's not a B-horror movie with just no theme at all, right? Like kids on spring break and then the slasher <laughs> right. comes and kills them all. And like one of them survives for a while and then dies at the end. But like, or no, they get the killer. But then under the porch, the hand comes out of the dirt, whatever. Like it just <laughs> means nothing, right? Yeah. And then you have these classic movies that all feel like they are actually about something while also being a horror movie. And The Ring is kind of in the middle. Um, this TV rots your brain. It takes your humanity. It actually kills you. As you said, Alex, what if you could watch something that permanently damages you. Like that is an actual psychological problem that we deal with, especially in the early days of the internet where you can right. watch like mm -hmm. a horrible, horrible video that you can't get out of your head yeah. for, for weeks, you know? Um, and, and then of course the ending of this is the way that they get out of it is by making copies, making other people watch these images. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's not a, it's not a do and it's not a don't my lesson, but it is sort of the ring is right in the middle there where it does, it does do the the horror movie theme thing where it is trying to meditate on this thing. It could do it better. It could do it in a little bit more of a clear way. As you know, as you were saying, Michael, uh, it's not perfect, but it is a um, it is a good example of at least a movie that is trying to do it. And then I think there are movies that do it better. But I, I always get excited when I realize that a horror movie especially is actually doing a theme thing because I feel like it is such a it's such an obvious and, and like just good medium to say I have an idea and the thing I want to talk about is actually what the horror in this movie is and then you're you're good to go like that's all you need right to then go make your movie I believe you I'm <laughs> glad you like horror movies I will tell you about some movies <laughs> no need yeah yeah no absolutely and I think yeah it's I feel like there's there's like ideas and like the create a cool like backdrop for movies. And then I think there's like theme built into like a character arc that is being expressed. And I feel right. like mm -hmm. horror movies are really great avenues for like ideas, like mm. to like, like you're saying, right? right. Have all these things yeah. where what if we expressed consumerism as like zombies that's horrifying? And now you can just make a zombie movie, but like that's their creating extra meaning for it. And so right. it, it is mm -hmm. kind of this, like you're saying, a, a cool, unique thing about the horror genre and how it can explore meaning in a different way while also, you know, being a fun popcorn movie that you, mm -hmm. you know, throw your popcorn in the air all the time and you get scared. Right. <laughs> uh a Quiet Place, a movie about a family that doesn't communicate and then mm -hmm. they can't make no, you know what I mean? Like things like that. There's just so many good examples of like, oh, like if you if you are trying to get better 
acquainted with theme. I think horror and you're and you don't hate horror movies. <laughs> like it's a good <laughs> genre to go see movies that are just like one and one make two kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a great example of it has those ideas and it has a theme. Like you're saying, it's really strong and visible because the choices the characters make at the end, like resolve the theme right. and like, yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a really good example. Awesome. Mm. Alex. I just want to talk about the music for a moment because we haven't even mm. touched on the music, but this is, you know, Hans Zimmer and Gorbinski went on to collaborate you know, more in the future on the second and third Pirates movies. But this is just a really cool score for a horror movie. I mean, it's you can you can hear the Hans Zimmer uh, cello focused, uh, just interesting, in, just really interesting uh, soundtrack for a, for once again, what like could have been more of like a B movie script. Honestly, you've got this really elevated visual style, really elevated music. And I think to me, the lesson is, uh, you know, there are some movies where the music can be almost better than the movie is or like be like kind of beyond the movie and it can help push the movie, you know, out of mm -hmm. one category into another category. Like music can be that powerful. And, and to me, without the music that this, that this movie has, I don't know if I would love it as much as I do. Hmm. If it had a, if it had a totally different soundtrack, if it was kind of like a blah, generic horror movie soundtrack that was just kind of run of the mill jump, was music for the jump scares, you know, but if it, if it didn't have that Hans Zimmer theme creating the underlying mood and the general sense of dread or like the kind of Seattle rainy sadness. I I don't know if I would love watching this movie, um, but because of that music, I actually really enjoy simmering in the mood of this film. So don't underestimate music to like push your maybe not masterpiece movie into like the middle ground territory we've been talking about. <laughs> I did not hear one note of this score. It's a great score. <laughs> I was too scared. <laughs> I didn't really hear any of it. She watched it or just with that, subtitles to be safe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely did have my subtitles yeah. on, which I often do when mm. we're, you know, watching a movie we're going to podcast about just so I make sure I catch the dialogue. But, yeah, but I do think that in an unconscious way, the score is part of why exactly my point, this yeah. image, why this movie makes our skin crawl is that there is, right. there is a feeling that I get watching this movie that it's like getting under my skin. And I think the sound design of the music is at least 50% of that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about it now. Uh, yeah, I think you're totally right. And we talked about this a little bit in Psycho too, of how the music can just elevate mm. things. There's kind of like famous stories about different movies where people watch a cut without the final score, Star Wars being one. Mm. They're like, mm. oh God, this movie is bad. And then like you slap some John Williams on there and it's the greatest movie ever, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Um, the score also, as soon as as soon as the movie started, I haven't seen it in a long time, but as soon as that theme came in, I did get that, like the tingle and that mood like you're talking about. And it kind of reminds me of the theme of are you afraid of the dark? If you guys mm. remember that a little bit. I don't remember the theme. The theme. Yeah. Okay. Well, I remember, I remember avoiding Society. watching that show. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Gosling's in it kind of once. Um, anyway, yes. Music, obviously sound and uh, and Dream horror and, and all that is really important. And so good score, especially for this is very important. What have you guys been watching? <laughs> I'm going to eeny, meeny, miny, Brian. Hi. Um, well, speaking of uh, East Asian movies that had American remakes, uh, I watched Old Boy for the first time. Oh, nice. Yeah, the 2003 Korean film uh, directed by Park Chan-wook. 
Uh, and it's just this insane movie that's insane, um, <laughs> but like really well made and fun. You, the, the plot is this sort of crappy dude is kidnapped and kept in a room for 15 years. And then he's like, go. And he's hell bent on figuring out why, like who did it, why they did it. It's going to get revenge and all this kind of thing. Um, so it's like a mystery revenge thriller. Um, and it is insane is the only word I can think of. It is not for the faint of heart. It is a full on hard R kind of movie. Uh, and it goes to just totally bonkers places in terms of what is happening and how it's happening and, and et cetera. But it's one of these movies where I'm like, that's like one of the like hundred best movies of all time on like a bunch of lists. And I'm like, it's it's really well made, but it's also just so, so weird. Uh, but I had a really good time with it. And then I was like, do I just want to watch the same story again, but directed by Spike Lee? And I was like, I kind of do. I don't care if the remake isn't really well regarded. And I had a lot of fun with it, actually. It's not it's sort of unnecessary and it's not it's not better at all uh it's not as good but i enjoyed it um although i will warn you know kids i know you love the mcu but this movie starring josh brolin elizabeth olsen sam jackson and plum and palm clementive not for all ages maybe just just because you like (laughs) them as their mcu characters uh so yeah if you only watch one watch the original for sure but uh, uh but i i genuinely like watched the remake either the same day or the next day after watching the original. And I was like, you know what? I f- Sure, why not? It was fun. It was weird. It did some of the same stuff, but in new interesting ways. It did stuff that was different that was cool. It did stuff that was different that was not cool, but it, why not? Nice. I'm just thinking about, because we just talked about Psycho. Psycho had a remake also. Like, yeah, right. They should just remake all the movies. Like, Trisha, don't you want like a No Country for Old Men remake? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> By like... Troll, <laughs> you know. Wow, I'm not gonna name any names. Awesome, cool. <laughs> Trisha, what have you been watching? Um, so I decided to catch a heist movie that I had not yet seen. Mm. Um, apparently there are a few. So I watched 1972 uh, film called The Hot Rock with Robert Redford. <clears throat> the Hot Rock. The Hot Rock. Um, and directed by Peter Yates, written uh. With screenplay by William Goldman, nice. who, you know, is one of the great, greatest ever, uh, based on a, a Donald E. Westlake novel. Um, anyway, this is a like very 70s goofy heist thing where um I, I'm not gonna spoil too much of it, but basically it's like they do a heist, they they steal a diamond, which is the hot rock. Um, and they do a heist, they steal the diamond, and through a series of uh, you know, a comedy of errors, they they lose it, but like they don't get caught, but they like lose it, the diamond. And so, but where it ends up is somewhere even more secure. So they have to like go and get it again um, and, and like do another heist to steal it again. And then they lose it again. And then it like <laughs> ends up even somewhere more secure and they have to like go and try to steal it like a third time. Um, it's it's really funny. Uh, William Goldman's script is is really hilarious. Robert Redford is is great in it. So uh, yeah, if you just like a, a goofy seventies heist movie, then The Hot Rock is is a really good one. I'm glad I finally caught it. Um, there's a there's a moment in the movie. I, I will not spoil anything about it, but there's a moment in the movie that involves the phrase Afghanistan banana stand. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's always money in the no Afghanistan. <laughs> no, it's just they're, they're, they like kind of use it as a code word. I won't say more than that, but like I'm literally just going to start saying it to anybody from now on. If you know, then Afghanistan, banana stand to you. <laughs> Fascinating. Yep. Great. Okay. The hot rock. That's Alex, a Trisha movie. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Alex, I am your dad. <laughs> Uh, yes, Alex, what have you been watching? So I walked to my local art house theater and I saw the Palme d'Or winning uh, French movie Titane. Is that how you say it? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I did not like it. Uh, <laughs> I could not recommend it. Uh, I I found it to be uh, truly just uh, it's just kind of the most uh, irritating kind of like this is just all for shock value mm. and like that because of that it's art and like we tricked everybody into like giving us all the awards because it's just so <laughs> shocking and so grotesque uh i am down for that kind of movie usually i'm usually down for an a24 uh weird uh art house experience if it like does something if it holds together and right. gives me like a whole like a, a something at the end that's like that was all for something and i just like for the life of me could not get that out of this movie i just was uh uncomfortable and offended and uh, grossed out and mm. just and but it's the french like submission to the academy right. awards this year so i i tried i'm usually very open-minded it's really hard for me to recommend this movie, even though it apparently is like bell of the ball right now. Uh, so that was my, what am I watching this week? Wow. Okay. Alex, let's I go, appreciate let's go that see. Frank review. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should go see Lamb together. I'm open to Lamb as well. <laughs> you guys let us know how it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to like Lamb more than I like Titan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Cool. So I, I watched, it's been a little while actually since I watched it, but I haven't mentioned it yet. Uh, but the miniseries Unbelievable on Netflix. Oh, yeah. uh, and so it's it's a kind of, it's a crime story based on like a, a true case and like a series of things. It's, um, the cast is cool. Like it's uh, Tony Collette and Merritt mm -hmm. Weaver, who I love. She's so good. Yeah, uh, she's great. And Caitlin Deaver, I think you say Deaver, her yeah. name. Um, and so it's this story that well, like all the performances are really, really great and it's based on true story stuff. And it's like, it's one of those things where every episode is just like something really bad happened to this person and then things got worse and then <laughs> things kept getting worse. And so it's not like the most fun watch by the end. It kind of goes more into detective story -y stuff so i like wouldn't necessarily re recommend it if you're like i want a fun happy thing but if you're in the mm. mood for like this is a disturbing portrayal about how the system punishes people that have horrific things happen to them unfairly and it's all women uh <laughs> this is a very good execution of that and the performances like i said are really good by the end you do have this really uh like deep connection with them and it, I'm by the end, I was very glad that I watched it. So I, I would say like it is worth watching, but I'm, 
I'm often not in the, I'm not the Alex that's like, I want, I'm willing to feel bad if it all means something. It's like, I, I don't like feeling bad if I don't have to, mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't <laughs> worth it in this case. So unbelievable on Netflix. Okay. Well, this has been our conversation about The Ring. Uh, this was fun to revisit. I haven't seen it in a long time and it, yeah, I, it was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> We won't make you do it again for a while, probably. Um, but I felt like it, it was a good like Halloween movie, like the like. Yeah, I think it's a good October spooky mm. thing. We're not. We're Trisha, you can, okay. you can Trisha. listen to the soundtrack now and have all the memories come flooding back. <laughs> yeah, wait, good idea. I'm gonna go watch like Nightmare Before Christmas or you know, an appropriate spooky movie that's also delightful. That's also delightful. Yes. <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, we want to say a big thank you, as always, to the patrons that make this show possible. Thank you to all of us who joined us for this live recording. A uh, quick reminder that we're going to hang out with you guys uh, for a few minutes after we finish up here. So stick around. Uh, if you want to join our community over on Patreon, we would love to have you. The link is in the show notes. Uh, also a reminder that we're doing a week-by-week patron-exclusive series on the Apple TV Plus show Foundation, and our discussion of episode six will be releasing soon. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Ryan Bittner, and Alex Cayeros. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi. And as far as the next episode goes, if you can get yourself safely to a theater, get yourself to a theater, boot up that HBO Max, Whatever you got to do, because next week we'll be back with our episode on Dune. We'll see you then. That's weird to hear. (laughs) Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Bye.